Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of Gardens of the Moon, Volume 1 of the Malazan Book of the Fallen by Stephen Erickson. Today we'll be discussing Books 3 and 4 of Gardens of the Moon, those being The Mission and Assassins, respectively. Okay, that was so much information. That was a lot. This is the second time, though it was a decade ago, and still it was a lot. It was a, it was a total overload, but I had a lot of fun with with both of these there was a lot of really cool scenes here uh, i think that the only parts that i had like a, a lot of difficulty with at least as far as like okay that's a lot you know was when tool was explaining his whole history to like that was a lot that was <laughs> i was like what am i supposed to be paying attention to here oh my god i remember reading this the first time and tool uh being a kind of a mystery character at least his like tool. background even yeah. though he explains i love tool a lot he's a, he's like a really really cool character and i liked him a bunch uh, as my memory serves but i do recall being like but who is this guy for like many books <laughs> well, and then lauren is like tell me about yourself tool and he's like how about an entire history lesson on like, yeah. literally everything about my people over 300 oh, millennia mass so, yeah so many different things were brought up and then you know it's funny because like with regard to the jagu tyrant that stuff is very important to know it's important to know like what this thing is that everybody keeps talking about but it's like with this kind of veneer of all this history i'm kind of like okay what am i supposed to latch onto here what makes this really important and i think i had a couple other moments like that just kind of with what kaladin brood was talking about and then like kind of what uh like the the dreams with krupp and kroll and stuff and the whatever the hell happened with tattersail that was dude <laughs> that tattersail wrong on us <laughs> Man, there's so much that happens in her uh, yeah. character line. And just, what what are we, 415 pages into this book right now, I think? Yep. And uh, just A the lot. strangest things keep happening in this book that are, <laughs> yes. that are when compared to the other things that are happening, just it's just a big mess of very strange things that seem fairly mundane to the people that are in this book, you know, because it's all right, just, right. It, it's all just the world, you know, this it's the amazing, expansive, incredible world building that this series is that just gets a little bit overwhelming sometimes. But uh, let's get into the recap, because I really want to talk about some of these incredible action scenes that happened, some more revelations, we're digging deeper into some of these characters. And there's there's some like, funny parts to this book that i forgot about like there's some good well-placed well-delivered well-executed humor you can tell that steven erickson had a fun time while writing it though i think it is incredible like i've thought of this so many times while reading this book as my like own confusion and idiotic brain kind of stumbles through some of these events uh trying to piece things together i remember you telling me that he didn't take notes like he just wrote he, he just sat that. down and wrote them out like, I don't believe him for a second. That's that's crazy. I wonder sometimes if he was just like messing with the people that were interviewing him. Yeah. I believe it was 10 very big books. We go back in time like 300,000 years at one point during this. Like, I don't know how he holds it all in his head. But uh, speaking of holding things in your head, uh, good luck with this recap because there's a lot of vocabulary here, Chad. All right. I'm, I'm here for it. The bridge burners arrive on the northern edge of Lake Azure. Darugistan on the far opposite shore. Whiskey Jack has a short conversation with one of the Black Moranth, asking after a warrior with one arm who fought at Nathalog years past. The Moranth supply the bridge burners with munitions and depart. Deeming their assigned task suicidal, Whiskey Jack informs the remnants of his squad that they will implement his own plan to infiltrate and bring down Darugistan. The plan is to arrive in secret to Darugistan disguised as fishermen split into two teams, 
Team 1 consists of Kalam, Quick Ben, and Sari, while Team 2 consists of the remaining bridge burners. Quick Ben, using his warrens, meets Hairlock at the Spar of the Andai, located at the base of the Chaos Warren. Hairlock updates Quick Ben about Gear's attack on Tattersail, and Perrin's blow to the Hound with his mundane sword. Afterwards, Quick proposes something to Whiskey Jack and Kalam, which shakes both of them, but we don't know what this is yet. The bridge burners then set about crossing the lake. On the Rivy Plain, Talk the Younger comes across the site of a battle between Malazan soldiers and a group of Bargast. He sees tracks of surviving soldiers and follows them. Meanwhile, the adjunct and her remaining guards make a desperate stand against more Bargast at the base of an ancient barrow, but are not faring well against six terrifying warriors. Lorne is saved by the arrival of Onos Tuulin, a Talon Imas, and Tok, who arrives just in time. Lorne is angry that the Talon did not meet up with her days earlier. Tok and the adjunct ride double back to Pale, leaving Onos to make his own way. Perrin wakes in Tattersail's tent, six days after the Hound's attack. Perrin's revival has messed with his memory, and he is frustrated that Whiskey Jack and company left without him. Tattersail mentions that the coin she has been hearing has stopped spinning, and that Perrin may be being used by a god who intervened to revive him. She also mentions that Hairlock seems to be losing his mind, and may want to harm them. Perrin reveals that he bought his sword, Chance, three years ago, and admits his defense against gear was his first time using it. Lorne and Tok head back to Pale and meet with Dujek. After dismissing Tok, Lorne and Dujek discuss Tayskren's handling of the nobility in Pale. Lorne sees Dujek as a superior tactician and would favor Dujek over Tayskren in the event that Tayskren is overstepping his authority. Lorne has a private meeting with Tayskren and passes on the Empress's frustration with Tayskren's handling of the attack on Moonspawn. The Empress is indeed culling the Old Guard, and Tayskran is helping. Lorne recognizes Dujek's importance to the legions of the Malazan soldiers, and emphasizes that he is not to be harmed. Tayskran informs Lorne that Opon may have involved themselves in the events in Darugistan. Tattersail, after finding out Perrin is working for Lorne, is invited to a dinner with Lorne, Dujek, Tok, and Tayskran. Lorne is sure that Tattersail is the sorceress responsible for the death of her parents, and challenges her. Tattersail claims it was her first command under Lassine, who was Clawmaster at the time, and that she resigned from her post immediately after. Tattersail says she will accept her own execution, and challenges Lorne to a duel, knowing the adjunct wields an Otataral sword. The situation is diffused by Dujek and Tayskrin, who reminds Lorne that she is the adjunct and has to leave behind her personal grudges. When asked about gear, Tattersail lies and claims that her deck reading made the Hound appear. Tox sees through Tattersail's lie, but chooses to play along, as he feels he owes a debt to the mage Cadre for their heroism. Tattersail returns to her quarters, where Perrin informs her that Hairlock knows of Lorne's presence in Pale, and something of Lorne's strange companion. Tattersail plans to leave Pale to warn the bridge burners about Lorne's intentions. After discussing the consequences of Tayskren, and finding out about Opon's influence on Perrin, Tattersail and Perrin sleep together. Lorne leaves Pale and rendezvous with Onas Taulin, who explains his history with the Talan Imas. Lots of confusing history here, but Tool mentions that the Quran Talan Imas are coming, which will end a 300,000 year diaspora. 
The chapter ends, showing Crone soaring high over the Rivy Plain on her way to meet with Kaladin Brood. Tuck and Perrin meet at an inn. Perrin is not convinced that Lorne intends to kill all the Bridgeburners, but is eventually convinced by Tuck. They decide to follow Tattersail. Tattersail emerges on the Rivy Plain after struggling to travel through her warren. She is confronted by Belurden, who still carries Nightchill's corpse. Belurden has been sent by Tayskren to apprehend or kill Tattersail. Belurden mentions orders he's received to research a Jagut tyrant, but he does not believe Tattersail's assertion that Tayskren and the adjunct plan to actually raise a Jagut tyrant. Though incredibly dangerous, Tattersail fully opens her warren, ending the fight between herself and Belurden. It's explosive. From a distance, Tool identifies a number of warrens opened by Tattersail and Belurden, including Starvald Demolane, the first Elder Warren. He also senses that something new has appeared as a consequence of the many warrens being opened. Perrin and Tok later come across what remains of Belurden and Tattersail. Tok finds tracks of a childlike being heading northeast. Perrin assumes this is all Lorne and Tayskren's doing. Crone reports to Kaladin Brood in the Black Dog Forest about the events on Rivi Plain and Darugistan. Brood's forces are winning against the Empire. Two days after Tattersail's battle with Belurden, Crone survives an encounter with Hairlock, who has been incinerating Great Ravens with his Chaos Warren as he heads towards Darugistan. Tool and the adjunct witness Crone's flight. Tool cautions her over complacency against the unknown powers. In one of Krupp's dreams, the Imas bonecaster Pran Chol, the elder god Karul, and Krupp work together to bring about the rebirth of Tattersail to a Rivi woman, which also involves the souls of Nightchill and Belurden. Karul warns of the approach of Lorne and Tool to Darugistan. Krupp wakes up and notices a construction crew shouting profanities, but with a strange different accent. The crew are of course the Bridgeburners, planting Moranth munitions in the street. Crocus meets with his uncle Mammoth, who tells Crocus he should continue his education, which Crocus eventually agrees to do. Mammoth then explains about the rumor of a Jagut Barrow in the Gadrobi Hills. Whiskey Jack orders Sari to follow Krupp to the Phoenix Inn. Cotillion, the old woman from Itko Khan, and the Fisher Girl are all still vying for purchase on Sari's head. Sari kills the bouncer at the Phoenix Inn, then goes inside and eventually meets Crocus, who she quickly identifies as the Coinbearer. Baruch finds out from Crone that an unknown party, likely Malazan, is looking for the barrow of the Jagut Tyrant, allegedly located in the Gadrobi Hills. Alarmed by this, Baruch requests help from the scholar Mammot and intends to send his agents, Krupp and friends, out into the hills to observe any digging parties. He tells Krupp to take Crocus along to prevent him falling into the wrong hands. Quick Ben enters the Shadow Warren, escorted by Blind, one of the Hounds. He is taken to a throne room to meet with Shadow Throne, where he reveals he was once an acolyte of House Shadow. Quick Ben deserted House Shadow, however, and has been marked for death. After a short conversation, Quick Ben strikes a deal with Shadow Throne. He will eliminate Hairlock if Shadow Throne will lift the bounty on Quick Ben's life. Shadow Throne discovers Quick Ben's true identity just as Quick Ben leaves the Warren using the name Delat. At the Phoenix Inn, Ralik Nam notices Kalam enter and tells his clan leader Ocelot has led Kalam straight to them. Ocelot commands Ralik to lead Kalam to Tarlo's warehouse, intending a trap. Kalam and Quick Ben take a room upstairs and wreathe themselves in magic, 
Quick Ben makes himself invisible and charms Kalam to be able to float and see magic. They follow the assassins to the harbor. Anamander Rake sends the Tisti Andy Mage assassins to take out Darugistan's guild's assassins. Kalam and Quick Ben are caught in the crossfire. Quick Ben releases a demon loyal to Tayskren, but it gets killed in minutes by the skilled mage assassins and Anamander Rake as the two bridgeburners escape. Ralik, after being attacked himself, heads back to the Phoenix Inn, ruminating on his future. He corners Crocus and recalls the Knight's terrors, then warns Crocus against staying on the path to sucking the city's lifeblood. Marilio finds them and informs them about their assigned job in the Gadrobi Hills, which Ralik rejects. Quick Ben and Kalam find Whiskey Jack and company and inform them of the night's events. They surmise that the Tisti Andy are eliminating the guild members, and Whiskey Jack considers eliminating council members to find the true rulers of the city. Sorry, still following Crocus, discovers the plan to get Crocus out of the city and decides to follow them and eventually kill Crocus. Anomander Rake meets once more with Baruch, stating that he started the Assassin War himself, intending to prevent Lassine from contracting the Assassin's Guild to kill Baruch. Lassine has a habit of making high fists out of assassins. Baruch is angry that Rake did not consult him and claims Rake has no understanding of Darugistan. All this time, Baruch is hearing the sound of chains and heavy wheels. In another of Krupp's dreams, Karul informs him that Tattersail is growing, protected by the Rivi and a powerful warlord. Krupp also hears the sounds of chains and wheels, and Karul explains that this sound is Dragnapur, a sword which chains the souls of those it slays. As much information as this is, I am kind of, I mean, granted, this is my third time reading this book, but I feel like I am kind of like holding, like, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to hold a bunch of water in my hands and I'm keeping most of it in there, but a lot of it's kind of leaking out too. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, totally. there's so much going on here. There's so much to remember. And I, and I think that like on a first read of this book, if you're listening right now and this is your very first time reading this, I can imagine it's really difficult for you to prioritize what you're really supposed to pay attention to here because everything is just being thrown at the wall. Um, but it really makes for a really engaging read because there's so much mystery to everything. There's so much like, what does this mean? What what am I supposed to really latch onto here? And it just feels so organic. It feels so fleshed out. Uh, but at the expense of you kind of wandering in the dark hole, just a little, just, totally. just a tiny, totally. tiny little bit. I mentioned this during the first episode, but, you know, and I, I was making a joke, uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, one does not simply uh, read Malazan Book of the Fallen. But I really kind of stand by that. Like you experience these books and you discover them. And if you're feeling a little like, man, I'm like left out in the wind to dry here and just confused. That's OK. Get out your magnifying glass and keep on reading because things will make sense. The history will be explained because sometimes things can be like confusing and meaningless and filled with uh, the mysteries and history of twi and twisted motivations and moralities. But these books are so steeped in epic events, uh, like you're not being told of a battle you experience experience the battle in addition the world is super rich as is all the characters there's just so much depth here if you want to you can get stuck in 300,000 years of Tulun in mass history if you want you know which is just a lot so uh yeah don't feel bad if you're a little bit lost everyone is at some point during these books I mean I'm a little lost I've got some questions actually that I don't even know if you're gonna yeah, be able same. to answer but we should just go over some stuff uh, specifically, all right let's do it, let's do it. 
I want to talk about Hairlock real quick. Um, so Hairlock yeah. seems to be totally losing his mind. I mean, who wouldn't? You know, traveling the Chaos Wardens, Warrens and trapped in the body of a puppet after getting cut in half. I think that's uh, the one that did it. Was the transferring to a body of a puppet that that really? I don't know exactly. I mean, it seems to be the chaos warrens because it seems like Hairlock is kind of like I got this. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry. I'm curious because it seems like Hairlock is becoming more of a liability than anything. My question is, why? Not why. I understand. I think I understand why they did that to Hairlock. But was that a, a risk that Quick Ben knew that they were taking with Hairlock? I don't recall exactly why. They did that, but my understanding is that it was not really something that Quick Ben was like super stoked about. Was something that was like a deal that him and Hairlock made that he was kind of forced to do this ritual that transferred Hairlock over to Marionette Puppet. I think that they knew that somebody was trying to kill them too, right? I mean, it's like it's it's almost like they needed somebody in that position. Like I, I think I understand the why of it mostly. Because uh, like, well, because Sari had like all this like weird dark energy about her, and so I, I, I'm just totally. saying like I think I understand that. What I'm asking is like, did did they not have some sort of contingency for this? Did they not plan for Hairlock going crazy in this Warren filled with creatures, as Quick Ben would say, uh, that's that is liable to make somebody go insane and try to kill everybody? You know, I think it was on the list of things that might happen, but. Not, I think this is a pretty like unlikely or un. Um, it's not a thing that done very often. What what uh, Hairlock had done to him. So like, I think that they didn't really know. And was do you know if he was using the Chaos Warren prior to becoming a marionette? I think yes, right. Uh, see, that's something I don't know. I don't know either. If he was, then I would think that it was the whole him being put into a puppet and like losing his physical body and all that, which is making him go insane. If it wasn't, then and he just started using the Chaos Warren. Um than it was because I think that him becoming a puppet allows him to do something within the Warrens that he wasn't able to do before. Perhaps that thing is accessing the Chaos Warren at all, but um, because it's mentioned multiple times that he goes like adventuring into the Warrens and he goes super deep a few times. I'm wondering if he could do that in his physical body prior to becoming a puppet or if it was the puppet thing that enabled him to become their Warren scout. But he definitely is going insane. That what we can be sure of. And I think you saying like him being kind of a um, a liability is definitely a real thing. And not only that, but I think his his loyalties are definitely in question. Like, who is he loyal to? And I think himself is really the only answer we can be certain of at this point. What do you think about the Empress's plan of just killing like most of the nobility? Do you think that that's a good way to get the common people on her side? I mean, that seems to be maybe her plan. I mean, it seems I mean, I've never run an empire before, but it seems Neither to me like I. I don't think that that's like a super solid option considering the amount of hiring from uh from outside, the amount of outside hires you'd have to bring in. Uh you know, like if I was running a company, I wouldn't just like fire everybody that was in positions of authority just to like please the workers. Uh I mean I I mean I would because I'm so pro worker personally, but like if I was trying to run a successful company, <laughs> it's like it's it would seem weird to me to just kind of like like throw everybody out that has like a lot of experience running these places unless unless they're all like legitimately super corrupt. Like it just seems like an odd thing for her to do. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. You know, I think that in order to do something like that, you need to have a intimate knowledge of the hierarchy and what each role each um level of it is playing as far as like managing the role beneath it right because the problem with being an empress is yes you have master control but if you kill all of these 
the like, you know, managers, the heads of groups, you know, under you, all of the power structures beneath you, then you kind of destroy the organization of everything. And it can be, I would imagine, very, very difficult to get kind of the cogs going again of a factory, if you did that to a factory, and definitely of a city, if you did it to the entire city. Where I think Glassine's motivations come from is kind of this is kind of her thing, right? After she gets power of a place, she kills all of the people holding power before and then wants to put her own players in place knowing who they're controlled by. And she probably has no shortage of other players too. Like she's running totally. an empire, you know, and there's tons of people that are loyal to her as well. I just thought it was like but kind of strange like to, seems, yeah. to have that be a policy. Like it seems like you'd want to be a little bit more selective about that instead of just killing. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, there's like a part where adjunct Lorne tells Tayshren, like, hey, it's cool that you're doing this and all, but like, make sure to keep Dujek alive. Because if we kill Dujek, then we're going to get a like a total massive uprising. Like it's going to be such a mess. We will have so... rebellion. But why is Dujek like the only one in Pale that people have that kind of loyalty? You know what I mean? It's like, right. if this is like a big giant city with like tons of nobles in it. Wouldn't some of the nobles have like some of the people's like loyalty? Right, Dujek isn't even one of those nobles. Like he's just the leader of the, the Malazan army, you know? Like I said, I've never run an empire before, so maybe Lysine knows something that I don't, but... You know, hopefully her claw, which seems to be like her like spy group, you know, like they're... Hopefully they learned about the hierarchical system of the inner machinations of Pale before destroying everybody, because you are not wrong. It, you are going to have absolute chaos on your hands and like reorganizing all those people, even if you do have your own people ready, it's like, man, it's just going to be very difficult to uh, take over a city that way. I would think that you'd want to kind of do a lot of that work prior to taking over the city militarily, you know? Okay, help me understand why did Crocus decide to return the jewels to um, the Da'aral estate? Because he steals them in the last part, uh, book, excuse me, of these, uh, and then he decides to return them, and I don't really remember. And then, like, Chalice wakes up, and they have, like, a big conversation, and then she lets him go. Sorry, is kind of, like, looming, uh, watching him the entire time this is going on. Do you know Crocus's motivations? I, th I think Crocus is like not even 20, right? He's like 16, 17 years old. Remember what he tell? He says something to Chalice, like all these people are vying for your hand in marriage, but it's going to be me. And he's like, I think that in his mind, he's got kind of like, he's just kind of got like a, a vision for himself. Oh, uh, and, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think he like he's, fell in love with her naked form when he saw sure, her or stealing something. her I think stuff the first time. I think okay. that really is kind of the longest short of it. Wow. What a romantic to I think mean, <laughs> that you've got a shot, you know, after like breaking into I her mean, room, she stealing seemed, her she stuff. She seemed interested in him and to a certain extent, she was kind of like, yeah. what are you doing? You know, she wasn't like, Hey, get the hell out of here. She even said like, if I scream, you know what I mean? We'll have, and he's like, well, I'll just put the dagger to your throat. And she yeah, was he's like, like but wow. I'm a bad boy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think that really is kind of the extent of it. Crocus okay, is kind of like, sense. yeah, Crocus to me is just kind of like sort of bumbling his way through here. It's kind of like very evidenced by the way that he kind of just like scrapes by not getting murdered on the rooftops by, with the help of this coin and everything. I totally. think it's just like showcased pretty well that he's, he just kind of reminds me of like the, the main character, the main like cook character in Ratatouille. <laughs> like, the, yeah. like the kid linguini i think is his totally name. like that's what crocus reminds me of but um yeah i mean i think that's that's basically it i could be I mean, there could be something else at work here but i mean um the way that he talks to his uncle and everything the way that his uncle was kind of like you need to get back to your schoolwork and crocus is like yeah totally um and then like the way that relic treats crocus too he seems to be kind of like the the young person taken under the wing of this group kind of thing you know? right 
Like we all have lived like lives of crime and sin. Maybe if we just push you to keep being educated, you can like rise beyond what, what we did in the city. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. Something like that. Uh, let's talk Tattersale. Let's talk Tattersale. And, let's and talk Tattersale. What she was before and whatever the hell she is now. Because uh, yeah. I remember, you know, going through this for the third time, like as I'm reading, I can kind of just remember certain things like a, right before they happen, but it's very blurry. And I'm like, Same. oh, yeah, totally. So when Tattersale's out on the Rivy Plane, I remembered that she was going to run into Bellardan and they would have there be like some kind of like Warren, like nuclear explosion. But I like forgot exactly like what was going to happen next. And I totally forgot that she gets like scooped up and like put back into some lady and like <laughs> soul bonded with, like, with Bellardan with, and with, night chill. It was dead. Like, it was dead. Yeah. But dead only for weeks. Like I... <laughs> she like did some accidental preservation magic that like somehow preserved night chill's soul. Totally, and then she yeah. opened her full Warren fully. I know that that had something to do with it as well. And so well, because of tool, um, tool for anybody listening is a little confused. Tool is the Talan Amas that is with, um, Ajak and Lauren right now. So because of Tool, the Warrens were like difficult. Tool has like this elder magic that's been affecting the Warrens because Tattersail was trying to travel through her tier Warren, but she couldn't. She was having trouble with it. And so has to like foot it through, you know, she's a, she's on her Subarus uh, through the Rivy Plain. That's when she ends up with uh, Bellardan, who was just there by like coincidence, I'm pretty sure. Or like some he's other... trying to find a spot to um, bury Nightchill. And he's on orders from Teishren to not necessarily kill Tattersail, but like you know, kill Tattersail, like like Avriander, right. sure. Wink, but like, yeah. but um, yeah. Anyway, that whole sequence was really strange because I didn't really understand like how there were so many Warrens being opened up. There's another section of the book where um, I think it's Tool like notices he's like this Warren opened and this Warren opened and this Warren opened and, and it's like I thought that maybe Bellardan is just like I think Bellardan's a high mage so maybe he has like a lot of control over lots of different Warrens and stuff because I'm pretty sure Tattersail only has a mastery over the tier Warren. Is so... Bellardan a high mage? I kind of thought he was like a brawler who's like really I'm like, pretty good sure... at taking in like like um, eating spells that are that are sent against him. Wasn't Bellardan one of the um? high mages that was like there for the siege of pale yeah i just looked it up bellardan's a high mage for sure <clears throat> okay so got he, it, was, got he it. was the only other surviving um mage of the cadre i think besides uh tattersail and tashrin i'm pretty sure Bellardin okay the only because like nightshell died Callet died hairlock is whatever the fuck hairlock is <laughs> right right uh, and so that whole sequence was really strange because like i said i kind of forgot what happened and then through the dreams that krupp is having I'm kind of picking up on it, but also I think we're going to just need to read just a little bit more for me to like really be able to discuss like what Tattersail ends up as. But let's uh, go back just like a tiny bit to the situation with Tattersail, not only with Perrin, which they just hook up, which is great. They just hook up. I think that's it's fine. funny. Like, I wonder if it'll be an ongoing theme in this story, because I know it is in lots of stories that like right before someone dies or goes through like whatever happens to tighter sale like some sort of ending of her present body's condition uh they hook up i wonder if that'll be like an ongoing theme like somebody hooks up it gets laid and then they die like very soon after you know crushed by some felomen better than dying without hooking up i guess absolutely but, so the stuff with uh with perrin i felt like was very kind of like we're reviewing stuff where like she finds out that perrin was working for lorne she gets all upset um like that stuff is cool i really want to talk about the conversation though that Tattersail is a part of during this dinner. Like she arrives and Ajahn yeah. Lorne is like, hey, 
you basically are responsible for my whole family dying of plague. You killed my parents. parents. Her parents dying of plague, which is like pretty weak, honestly. Pretty because, weak. Like, like, I mean, I I get it, and like I would be really upset if my parents died too, obviously. Uh, but like, oh, and Tattersall just kind of like goes, "Well, nope, Lauren." Like, puts it or last scene, he she blames it on the Empress because well, she's mean, like, "I was under orders." Like, <laughs> well, she was under orders, and like Dujek made a really good point where he was kind of just like, "Hey, like we're all working for like this." this empire who is hell-bent on taking over the world like i mean obviously we're all doing shady stuff here like it's silly and then even tashran is just like hey you're the adjunct now like whatever you were before is not you now and even lauren right. is like you're totally right i can't do that but i thought it was really cool that tattersail was like i think at first i could be wrong about the exact order of events here but doesn't she at first she's like you can kill me if you feel like you can execute me if you feel like that's because she like outranks her and everything and then totally. someone says like, nah, don't do that. And then she's like, okay, well, how about a duel? Because right. Tattersail knows that adjunct Lorne with her Ototaro sword would just absolutely eviscerate Rock Tattersail. Her. And so... Because I think the sword like drinks magic or something is what I got the idea it's, of. It's, it's antithetical to magic. Okay. It's like, okay. There's a lot of antithetical to magic things. Like, and Somebody corrected are... us in the Discord. I, I Actually, we should actually... Uh, somebody correct us in the Discord about a couple different things. Thank you, um, Discord. Thank you, yeah, Discord. Yeah. yeah, we're going to need some more corrections probably as we go. But honestly, uh, we'll probably get a little more accurate as we go here too. Totally. Uh, I feel like once we kind of get the whole get picture piece together. Yeah, I feel like we're going to get into a get into a rhythm. But somebody, and I don't even know if I want to use the word corrected, because I don't even know if you're 100% right, uh, my dear Discord followers, <laughs> the dear Discord community. Uh, I don't know who's right. Uh, but I will say, um, we did get corrected here that um, Lauren isn't anti-magic in the way that we were talking about in the in the previous episode, but her sword definitely seems to be. Like totally. her sword, her sword is like, it like sucks up majory i don't know majory <laughs> <laughs> that's not a word but i do think that the um because i we, maybe we got um adjunct lorne confused with the claw because the claw are mage killers right that's how um topper is introduced to us as but i do think that not only are they mage killers they're also just kind of like the like the cia for lassine like they kind of just do her dirty work they assassinate people they uh have a kind of a direct access to the powers that be and are controlled by them I don't think I don't know if the claw is necessarily like an specifically for mages. I think they're just assassins. They're the Malazans, okay. like elite group of assassins. Because the claw was created by Lessine when she was known as Surly. The, the claw were like a secret police. Um, they were like a network of totally, spies. Kind of like the CIA was, or FBI. Yeah, or like whatever, you just yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, like the CIA. They were kind of like just a little bit more internal, I think, and uh, modeled after the previous emper emperors kind of assassins it's called the talon claw is a, is a play on the talon you know what i mean but it seems like it's a little bit more it digs a little bit more deep uh, sure digs a little more deep nice and then we have the claw master who is topper i believe by the time that we uh, take over the story and uh, the rule of la scene so yeah i think that that is uh that, that that they're more generally seen as assassins not as like antithetical to the male like anti-mage troops you know are we gonna have to do like a like a kind of like what newspapers do when they have to like fix because somebody wrote in and was like that's actually not right we have to be like okay that's not right all right guys <laughs> we're wrong about this thing we're sorry we're sorry 
So real quick, let me just read a couple of things that were uh, clarifications brought to us by Surav uh, in the Discord. The adjunct Lauren is just a normal human. She is not anti-magic, but something about her is anti-magic. You'll find that out in Subbook 3. And so that seems to be the uh, tutorial sword that she has. The Hound Gear was not coming after Perrin. He was coming after Hairlock because Hairlock was using the Warren of Shadow for traveling and was also using the Chaos Warren. Gear was on his trail, and when Hairlock came to meet Tattersail, Gear followed him there. Perrin was just there. Regarding the Wizards of Pale, they were allied with Adamander Rake and the Tist Andy, but during the battle they fled, fearing that the Malazan Empire's claws would kill all of them. Rake Which would... super pissed Rake off. Sure, Rake would have protected them from the claws, but they didn't trust him and left Rake alone to fight their war in which Rake was helping them. That's why Rake wants them killed. So th thank you so ah. much for that clarification there, Chad and I were a little off on a couple of those things. And also regarding the gods and descendants, it's, uh, so Sarav says this is never explained in detail. You just have to pick it up from the clues given in the books. Um, so Sarav is putting forward that there are no real gods. There are just people that are kind of humans that have ascended to a certain level that are considered gods. I don't. I still don't know if that's one hundred percent correct. That sounds like I could run with that for the for the next few books at least. Um, and it sounds like Kroll, like the elder gods are ones that are actively being worshipped right now. So maybe that is like another tier of gods, but it hmm, seems okay. weird to me to like use the word gods. If you have the word ascendance, like why would you use that word? But I'm not Steven Erickson. So I don't know, man, I'm confused enough, Steven. Like my understanding you know. of the elder gods were that they were gods that were existed before the creation of the Warrens. So like something happened, which I kind of know of because I read the books, but I won't talk about it right now. Um, that kind of allowed the Warrens to come into uh, creation and the elder gods are these ascendant beings that were there prior to the Warrens coming into existence. I like Karul. Karul was an elder god. I don't know if they have any active worshipers, but I think like the defining factor was whereabouts in the world's timeline and in relation to the creations of the Warrens um, as as how you get the title of Elder God. There's an into speaking of ascendance. There's a really interesting, you know, this whole um, let's see, part th four of the book, bar book four, excuse me, wraps up with a conversation between Anamander Rake and Baruch, and Anamander Rake kind of mentions like. You are definitely more than you seem because most people don't meet me eye to eye. Like most yeah. people are afraid he was, like, of me. Stoked on him, he was like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, hey, like this guy's yeah, like, talking to me." You. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then, um, and then Baruch just kind of like slyly, cryptically says, "Like, well, well, there are there are more subtle paths to ascension." Basically, I loved that so, line. That was yeah. such a badass line. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> I think Anamander Rake is probably farther along the ascension trail. Like I don't think that Anamander Rake has ascended. Like I don't think he's quite on the same level as like the Rope Cotillion or um, um, Amineus or anything like that. Maybe he is Opon, but I don't think so. I think he's like right under that level, is my understanding. I could be totally wrong. Um, and I think Baruch is right under him, as far as power level. The part of that conversation I also really liked was that Animator Rake kind of came into that room and was like, oh my God, you're like, like you sent this demon to go watch over me. Like, don't you know what I'm doing? I'm doing all this really awesome <laughs> shit for you, man. And then right. Baruch is just like, dude, you have no idea how this city even works, dude. Right. Like, you're up in here, like you're, you're messing all this stuff up. I've already got my plans. You know what I mean? Like you think you're helping, but you're actually not. Uh, and I think right. that's that was like what, that was what led Animator Rake to be like, wow, this guy is talking to me totally like doesn't he know who i am like i'm Anna totally Mander fucking rake like i've got a yeah, giant soul-sucking sword on my back because, i control moonspawn 
Because Dragon Emperor is Anamander Rake's sword, right? We put that yes. together. Yep, totally. And it's easy to put together. Um, Which is so cool. <laughs> Dragnapur. Dude, Dragnapur cool is awesome. I'm, it's funny. You mentioned earlier, like, I'm remembering things, like, basically, like, right before you learn about them. And I'm, like, remembering the history and lore of things as we're talking about this episode. And again, I won't spoil anything, but I'm remembering some of the lore around uh, some of these items that we are discussing. And it's freaking awesome. Like, so cool. I kept wondering, like, Tattersail kept reading the deck for a long time. And we kind of learned, like, in the run-up to the Battle of Pale... She didn't read the deck for multiple months and like feeling like something had kept her away. And she recalled that like that happened once before. And that was the night before her uh, like at the time lover was killed. So I wonder what was keeping her from reading the decks. And then once she decided to like break that uh, and, and start reading the deck, it seemed like she was doing it all the time. She did it for taste grand. She did it for herself. She did it just a bunch of times with hairlock. It seems like the closer, you know, about the ascendant's machinations the more you're kind of like by proxy involved with them like i wonder if that's really like beneficial to her or not to like maybe it's just be better to like not know about them you know i really don't have much to say at all about the deck um i think we'll have to just like read more about it um tattersell definitely seems to have a pretty good affinity with the deck um and the deck totally seems to be a lot more than just like a tarot card thing um, I think to your point, though, and I could be so off here, uh, but like I think to your point, like people that are proficient at using one of these decks in the way that Tattersail is, like maybe have do have like a bit closer of a bond, or maybe not bond, maybe bond isn't the right word, but I have no idea. Like I don't know anything about this deck stuff. I know that there's like another mention of it later in the second book, um, which is like a really cool scene, and I'm excited to get to the second book for all kinds of different reasons. But we're not talking about the second book. <laughs> talk about the fucking first book and we mean gardens of the moon and dead house gates and this use of the word book man book is so confusing that it's used in the books itself because sometimes we mean actually like the book itself and sometimes we mean the books within each book so that's a confusing one we're sorry uh, you guys listening somebody had given us a some advice on what to call these things and i really i appreciate that input but i think we're going to keep calling it uh each titled <laughs> i don't want to say the book word book binding of paper uh we're gonna call those like gardens of the moon deadhouse gates memories of eyes we're gonna keep calling those volume uh so gardens of the moon is volume one and then book one two three four in those uh volumes just because uh in my mind that's kind of how i settled it and then also if and you look only because it the, says it calls the books within volumes. each volume books well, and it calls it um one of the one of the original i think the original cover for gardens of the moon says uh volume one of of, of malazan book of the fallen uh oh, so interesting that's okay. what i'm gonna call i'm gonna keep calling it that uh sorry if that's frustrating anybody but i just gotta i gotta pick a so cover to cover just, like, it's a volume right yeah the and binding each section of within is a book yes yes so um just to cl totally 100 clarify that uh, but i do appreciate the input obviously of course this this Malazan Discord channel is popping off. Popping Everybody off. In here, <laughs> we've never had a uh, the Red Rising one is usually got a lot of people in there too, but the uh, the Malazan one everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to read some of this stuff. Uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit about Crone and uh, the meeting with Kaladin Brood. Sure. I'm so happy we got to see Kaladin Brood. I just picture a big muscly man with a gigantic hammer on his back. Uh, is that is that correct for Kaladin? Brood? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I think he's got like a, like a like a handsome. He's a handsome man. You know, he's like okay. handsome but dark and like the yeah. 
the his his back is straight although he has the weight of like many thousands and the responsibility of them upon his shoulders you know i think his presence is heavy and he's literally heavy like i bet you he's over 300 pounds on a scale but like uh, just pure muscle towering muscle but i think that he's i think you can feel when he walks into the room so what do you think about Khaled and Bruto? I mean, I know you've read quite a few of these books, so don't spoil anything, but like, I get the feeling that him and Andamanda Rake aren't like besties. You know what I mean? Like they're not totally in agreement on like everything. And it seems like almost Khaled and Brood is kind of, he's got like his own reasons for being against Malazan, uh, the Malazan empire, but like, I'm not quite sure. I felt like that was just like a really short chapter with him. And it was like hard for me to get a beat on him, you know? And he's not in Dead House totally. at all, so. Is he? No, I don't think he is. Is he not? I don't know. I don't think he is. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but I know that he he led a um a force of Tistiandi called the Crimson Guard. Um, and he is part Barghest, which we've had kind of not an explanation of the Barghests. Like I know it like in the Salvatore books, like a Barghest is like a I don't know, like a humanoid kind of like baby demon thing. Like once they eventually level up, then they go and take their place in like their own realm of existence. And they're kind of like a full fledged demon. So I don't know if that's what a Bargast is in these books or if this is just like like an orc or a troll or something like that. If he has like a little bit of but I know that he has some Bargast blood in him, which is why he's such a towering, imposing figure. See, that's another thing about Malazan is that there are so many different races. There's so much going on here. Like there's the Tilan and Mass, the Tiste Andy, the Bargast, uh, the Moranth. Obviously, there's humans. There's the Four Cruel Essail, which I don't know what the hell. The Tiste Eder, the Tiste Andy, or like the Tiste uh, Leosan or something like that. The, there's like Telemans. Uh, there's there's so much. There's, there's so a much. lot. <laughs> the trells i think i remember that word uh yeah so yeah it's um there's quite a bit happening here so when you're talking about bargas and you're like what is it about the bargas like are they similar i'm like i have no idea man like i have no clue i can't i forget i like forgot that there were even bargas and salvatore stuff yeah i know okay so i'll just read this here the bargas were a non-human pastoral nomadic warrior society who were found on several continents the bargas of Ginnabacus were concentrated in the barghest range Seems like that makes sense. Generally larger than humans, they were often seen as exotic barbarians or savages by non-Barghest. They were divided into many clans, with each hunter group identified through their woad tattooing. Their tattoos uh, depicted totally. the history, yada yada, um, duels to the death. Yeah, so they're basically like big, imagine like orc-human barbarians, kind of, is kind of what I'm what I'm uh, saying. But maybe orcs is, is painting them under a wrong light, because they're usually low in intelligence, and Kaladin Brood is certainly not low in intelligence. Okay, so in Gardens of the Moon, um, Kaladin Brood is leading the Tisti Andy uh, force, uh, Crimson Guard, the Rivi Mott Irregulars. All they he kind of has a unified force of them um, that are called the Crimson Guard, I believe. And he's basically uh, been working with Anamander Rake. They have a long and storied history, but for the last few thousand years, I think they have been kind of buddies. Seems like they're kind of, they always like kind of get kind of, kind of buddies. Yeah, yeah. Like they're both ascendants, and I think that like Anamanda Rake is like I'm in charge, and Kaladin Brood is like I'm in charge. So I don't really know who is in charge between them, but I know that they're buddies, kinda. Didn't we just discuss this? So is is Anamander Rake an ascendant? Like he's not a god, but like ascendants and gods are like kind of the same thing. Like what do you? I know we did just discuss this. Yeah. I don't know, and I think I think if we were to look it up, I think that we would find out that he is an ascendant. 
Well, let's just leave it for later, you know? And, okay. Uh, we'll know when we know, and we won't know if we don't know, just like everything else. Totally. I think I get confused sometimes with the Ascendants being in control of a Warren, kind of like the Shadow Throne, you know? Like, I don't know if uh, Anamanda Rake is also in control of War, because he obviously has, like, a presence, like, here on in this mortal plane, you know? And so I think that I'm getting maybe my wires crossed a little bit on in the Warrens, but whatever. Let's shift over a little bit to Quick Ben um, taking on a jaunt over to go talk to Shadow Throne, uh, being <laughs> yeah. escorted by this really cool, like white furred uh, a hound named uh, Blind, I think was their name. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> man, so was, cool. You could like hear other hounds in the distance and stuff. And like, oh man, I love this scene so much. So I was kind of, I kind of mentioned Hairlock a little bit earlier and like, why did they do all this? And what's, don't they know that Hairlock's going to go crazy and all this stuff? Maybe, I don't think they did. I'm thinking about it now though. And I'm like, maybe Quick Ben had Hairlock going crazy, like in his back pocket too. He's like, he's like, this is going to work out for me because this guy's obviously going to lose his mind. And so when he does, I'll be able to go talk to Shadow Throne and be like, hey, I'll take care of your Hairlock problem if you lift this, this assassination uh, order off of my head you know what i mean like maybe because totally, it seems quick like the throne ben of shadow a... has it out for quick ben well because quick ben had been a an acolyte um mm -hmm. previously but then left it sounds like uh gathered a bunch of power or something or like learned a bunch of stuff maybe or just experience in general and then bounced out of there but i don't think from what it sounds like you're not really supposed to leave <laughs> like i don't think you're really supposed to just like thanks for everything like that's enough for me i'm gonna go find uh yeah i don't prospects. think the ascendance no really i don't think you're supposed to, that, to do that yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so there's been like a, a hit out on him you know basically uh so i'm wondering maybe if quick ben like, do you think that Quick Ben was just using this situation to his advantage, or do you think Quick Ben maybe knew Made the situation? Right, like maybe knew right. that Airlock was going to eventually become a thorn in everybody's side mm -hmm. and be able to go to Shadow Throne then and say, "I'll take care, I'll take this guy off of your hands." You know? I'm gonna give it to him. I'm gonna say that he maybe. planned this whole thing because, like, there's cool. obviously, I mean, there's a reoccurring theme in not only his character but so many other characters, uh, from Baruch to Kaladin. Everyone is more than they seem. You know, and, and so I think that uh, Quick Ben is a perfect example of someone being more than they seem. Obviously, he has a long history. You know, Tattersail at one point uh, turns to him and is like, who are you? Like, I should know all of the masters of the Warrens. You know, someone who is like a mage that has risen, risen to the level that they now master a Warren. She should know who that is, even though she never was able to identify exactly which Warren he was using and only really saying that it was like had a spicy kind of cinnamony sort of musk to it whenever he popped up out of his smoky gates of his warren so i don't really know but yeah i, I have no idea i want to think i want to say that he is more than he seems and planned the hairlock thing from the beginning because he's just that devious do i know that for certain hell no and i guess a name to look out for is whatever the it starts with a d that shadow dalet. throne D dalet d-a-l-e-t yeah. dalet yeah so that's a name to keep an eye out for to see if we can kind of pick at his pet his past and kind of see who he is uh we'll keep that name in mind dalit help me understand why whiskey jack was like let's just put explosives in the city i don't really understand how that's accomplishing his goal of like getting inside the city and unraveling them before the rest of the army gets there help me understand what's going on there i think that like taking darujistan much like with taking pale in other cities it's a it's a gigantic organized effort right like that's why they're trying to they're trying to like corrupt the council from the inside and stuff like that there's, there's all these like moving totally. parts that are trying to like do this in like i'm sure like taking a city like this in the way that the empire is trying to do it um especially like a last holdout 
uh, would require like a ton of organization and a ton of um, things to start, a ton of things to go right. So I think maybe in Whiskey Jack's mind, he's like, let's just cause a shitload of chaos. Like, let's just, you know what I mean? Like, let's make this city even more of a pain in the ass to take than it already would be by blowing up a bunch of streets and stuff and, you know, just causing a general like mess. Like that's a, that's what's okay. going on in like my head is like, they, they're trying to foil plans so that, and, this, and I, I could be wrong, but like they're trying, in my mind, they're trying to foil the scene's plans and make the effort, the, the mouths on em- effort look like kind of more of a mess than it really is so that we, so that they can get people loyal to Dujek. Whiskey Jack can only do so much, like, because if they deviate too hard, they're all going to get killed. It'll give uh, Empress Lassine a excuse to have them just murdered for, you know, betraying her. Right now, they're legendary enough and they're well-known enough and they're connected enough that, like, just killing all the bridge burners would be, like, it's not really going to work super right. well. But, and so I think that Whiskey Jack knows that, but also, like, they can't just, like, defect either. Like, they can't just, they have to, like, be seen to be in Darugistan, like, following some sort of orders. Right, nor do they want to. Because Dujek even says, like, after the events in Darugistan, you guys can just disappear, you know, go be sure. live peaceful lives. Yeah. And uh, Whiskey Jack is like, we don't want to. Like, we're in this till the end is basically what he says, you know. Really so badass. Okay, that makes sense to me. Oh, it's so badass. I don't know. There could be, like, another reason, but it's, I think it's just mostly sowing chaos. I think it's fair to say that the bridge burners thrive on some chaos and the more chaos that is happening around them, the more they can kind of seize the reins of the events and then orchestrate them to their own own machinations. They are very aware of the fact that they've been sent off under a suicide mission. They're going into Jerugistan to die. Like that's what Lacine wants. That's a, a win-win for her. They cause some chaos for her, undermine the city's authority or whatever, and then also die in the in the trying of. I love how Whiskey Jack is just kind of like leaning up against the wall in his chair, like looking at his, the remnants of his squad. And he's just like looking at Fiddler and he's just like, that guy's such a shitty soldier, but damn, is he, but he's such a good sapper. Like you're not going to find another one like him. Like he's crazy and he'll blow stuff up like nobody else can. But I just love how he's just kind of like looking at his squad and he's just like, man, (laughs) these guys are so like, I love them all so much, but man. Uh, we've been through it <laughs> yeah, and we will keep on being through it yeah, i like how also it. you know we were talking about sorry last episode about how she's like the new recruit like she's really not the new recruit she's been with them for two years they just keep calling her the new recruit because they don't she's the newest like, recruit yeah she's the newest but to call her a member of the bridge burners will be to fully accept her into their folds of the bridge burners themselves and like kind of be family as they all are and they know that like you can't be family with Something that you're like terrified of that you think is the embodiment of evil in the mortal realm, you know, <laughs> like pretty convinced of it. too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty convinced. And I think Whiskey Jack's kind of coming around to it, too, because he's just like at first is like, no, she's just a little girl. Like, we're not going to assume that she is the embodiment of evil. And then I don't know. I think he's kind of like, man, is it really naive of me to keep thinking that? And yes, is the answer. Talk to me a little bit about how Ganoa's Perrin, you know, he's working for Lacine or Lorne, the adjunct, really. He's like directly under her. And then he is pretty quick to kind of be like, all right, so like this is Lorne's plan. And like, I don't know, he seems to his loyalties seem at question because he's quick to kind of not only hook up with Tattersail, but kind of bind himself to her plans. And then Whiskey Jack and them, he seems he seems like he likes their group a little bit more than Lorne. And maybe he's found a home or something. What are your thoughts there? Um, I I think that Perrin... Like, uh, like innocent is a weird word to use for Perrin, but like, I think that as far as like, he doesn't know the extent of 
Lorne and uh, like everybody's plans. I think even after him and Tuck talk a little bit in that in his talk like kind of like convinces him that things are like a little bit more nefarious than he thinks they are but i think that still i think perrin thought he was being assigned to the bridge burners because of either his nobility status or just because he's good at what he does and he was just kind of finally moving up you know what i mean and then totally and then all this like shady stuff happened and he was like what like maybe he felt like kind of betrayed almost um by yeah by Lorne who he had been kind of like forming a certain connection with and but yeah he does kind of shift over like pretty quickly like he like sleeps with Tattersail yeah. but there's also like a line where he, he almost like can't help but be attracted to Tattersail there's like something going on there that's like and maybe I'm wrong about this but it seems like there's something that's more than just like a physical attraction almost I mean Tattersail like the first time she meets him or something he, like mentions like the smooth warmth of his voice or something like that and how she like makes him laugh and she's like pretty stoked about it. I do agree that it is a little bit like um abrupt maybe apparent. Yeah. But but like I don't know. Uh it kind of makes sense too because I think from where Perrin's standing he's just like why are they going after the bridge burners? Like what the hell? Like why know, am I, I supposed I to be watching sorry? Assigned. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I just got assigned and I mean, it mentions that he hasn't had any friends in the last two years. He's like friendless. So maybe he kind yeah. of like has had enough his time. Yeah, he misses his family yeah. and he's had enough time working directly for Lorne um, to kind of like know that perhaps his like romanticized version of the world and his youth is like not really the actual world. And that like maybe the people that he's working for aren't the best, actually. And so he's like kind of desperate. He's like a he's like a, a man set sail. He's just like looking for a ship, you know, and maybe he sees that. uh in uh, the bridge burners. Do you think the bridge burners, like Whiskey Jack and company, do you think that they're loyal to Dujek or the Empire? Dujek. So you don't think that they're as loyal to the efforts of the Empire, just in it, it, as a as a as a sort of philosophy, like not even necessarily like like Lacine's Empire, because I don't think that they're really they don't seem very loyal to Lacine. No, no, I think they see <laughs> her as like an usurper. Maybe. Um, yeah but, but like do i you think, think that, that they're, they're loyal because they were loyal to the empire before or were totally. they loyal to to um Dasim? i mean dancer uh, i can't remember everybody's Us- name Us- usem i think usem yeah something oh. like that um i think that they are generally loyal to the idea of the emperor i do not think that they are loyal to lasine but i think more than anything they understand the like the bond that a soldier needs to have with its fellows like in the mud and in the sticks. And so I think they have that like that is really what what pulls upon their their loyalty strings is Dujek leading his troops down there in the gutter with them. And like they've been with him for so long. Like I think if Dujek was to be like, I'm taking over to be like they would be his first the first people to kind of strap their uh their their uh, uh, allegiances their loyalties to him i hope we explore that more in the later books like what exactly the bridge burners believe in and like you know what i mean because i i'm it sure seems it's like each other maybe and, and do jack is one of them you know but i think that like you have to i think at a certain point because they're not just like grunts that, are, that were commissioned and like forced into this situation um, right maybe they were at first but something something has kept them with the malazan empire this this long and I'm just I'm wondering if we're going to see the loyalty some, to each other. Maybe, yeah. But yeah. Can you have that like outside of like an imperialistic like horrible regime that's been in such yeah, flux I, over like 
I think they probably learned about the 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 negatives, the evils of their own side from the inside. You know, when they first started, they probably started very like idealistic, you know, but then they realized like, oh, we're just fighting for I don't think they really care. They were like, we'll either be fighting for this side or that side. Neither of them are good. Each one is like their own selfish force trying to gain power for themselves. Um, And I think really their their loyalties lay with the fellow man next to them in the trench. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how they are are meant to be represented throughout the course of these books as like our window into the fighting man and their opinion of the events therein, you know? I wonder how little of the whole picture we're really seeing here. Like so little. Man, <laughs> like, so I mean, little. Because there are nine more books after this. We're not even through the first one yet. And I wonder, we're watching like a chunk of this world's time, right? Um, and it just so happens we're watching an empire kind of develop and take over it seems to be you know it's like it's like you're it's like if you were cataloging the roman empire and it's and its rise or not even necessarily its rise but it's it's change you know what i mean it's 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 evolution uh and if you were to write 10 books about that even just one section of like one period of the roman empire and that evolution from maybe just one form to the next the amount of stories and the amount of perspectives and the amount of opinions and you know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if the way that we're seeing the empire in the gardens of the moon as like this kind of, uh, this unstoppable imperialistic colonizing force, it's like, maybe not even unstoppable though. Right. Because like Calvin Brood is giving them a run not. for their money Seriously. over in the marsh or whatever. And, and like, maybe we're going to see like more inside of other people's heads as the series goes on. Um, it's going to like change our opinion, not only of the empire, but of this book, you know, and then maybe we'll have it changed again. Um, I wonder if that's the sort of scope that Erickson is kind of going for here. I think so. That's amazing yeah. if it is because like, what a, what an undertaking, you know, like I can't imagine there's, writing. There's players like that we haven't even, Sure. Sorry. Yeah. There's well, players that we haven't even been in, in, introduced to yet, you sure. know. And uh, as far as I'm aware, time period like doesn't it skip around? Not skip around, but like skip forward in time, like a little bit sometimes. Yeah, it skips a lot. Like there's there's times where you begin a book and you're like, am I even reading Malazan Book of the Fall? Like what is happening? And man, I I don't remember which book it is, but I remember there's one specifically that like. It's just like, okay, and we're learning about these two countries fighting each other now. All right. <laughs> like, I'm happy that we're reading this one book at a time uh, after this first volume, um, because I think that's about the pace that I, I don't know if I could like crush these books in. No. Like if, if they could be the only books I'm reading for like six months, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I just don't, or like four months or whatever. I'm sure people have finished these books really quickly because... This way. I bet there are people that have read these books like five or six times, you know, and just they just totally. turn through them every single time. And I bet on like your fourth. And I bet read, you we sound like idiots, those people. Maybe. And if we do, <laughs> thank you for being patient with us, everybody. I think it's going to aid our our comprehension as we kind of slow it down. But and also it'll speed us up. Like, I think by having like these little like, yay, we did it. These like mo- multiple sections within one volume of like one we won we got to the point that we we're supposed to and then now let's talk about it i think that'll kind of keep us a little bit more on track and um deliberate as we continue to malazan plot plod forward here because i think it could be easy and know from personal experience that it can be easy uh to get lost in the story a little bit 
which certainly happened to me a few times my first read through 11 years ago. I'm still kind of lost, man. Like, me too, I'm, dude. I'm yeah. still kind of like, because I think that as we're talking about this, we're also not reading parts. You know what I mean? We're not doing, we're not talking about the book in its entirety. So it's like, no. I still, even, even after a couple of reads, I'm still like kind of lost, um, which is fine. I'm, I'm enjoying myself, you know? Oh, totally. Totally. And I think, you know, that's probably a good lesson to, to keep with us throughout as we read this is like, though we may not know everything, we're not sometimes supposed to know everything. So just like keep putting one foot f- forward in front of the other one. But that's and the frustrating the story, part baby. is like, it's like, you don't know when you're not supposed to know something. Yeah, right. You know I mean? Yeah. I've definitely found myself going back and like reading pages, like looking for something like, am I supposed to know who this person is? And then not finding it and thinking to myself, maybe this is something I'm not supposed to know. So that's fun. So sorry seems to have a protective spell within her that was placed there by the crone on the streets before she was taken by cotillion because remember there's like someone says the word seer around her and she gets like kind of shaken up by it and then cotillion's like shunk and then like reasserts his dominance over her real fast i don't know i think that's one of those kind of read and find out later kind of things yeah i'm not really sure about this sorry is so freaking weird man she's freaking weird i feel bad for her you know, like I feel bad for this Fisher girl who just got roped into all of this. Yeah, roped nice. One thing I, I wanted to kind of point it out, uh, I was going to m- mention in the Discord, but I thought it'd be cooler to talk about here, is that until this read, I had never really empathized, I guess, with Quick Ben and Kalam being intensely creeped out by this girl. Like I, hmm. I kind of like understood it on a surface level, but then I like thought about it more and I was like, this is not a Fisher girl. Like this is yeah. uh, this is a god possessing somebody. Yeah. yeah, that's really fucking creepy, dude. Like I totally get it now. Like I, I it's so it's so much to deal with. Like for a couple of years, you know. Totally, and and so much to the point that she is possessed that we literally. N- I went back and looked. We literally never have been given Sari's original name because that person is gone. Like maybe there's a little bit of her left being protected by the crone spell or whatever on the road, but I, I think it's very small. And it must be weird too for your commander, this person that you put so much trust in, to be so adamant that everybody could get along too. You know, yeah. like that would be really difficult, I think, when you're kind of like, look, obviously this this woman is messed something's wrong here. You know what I mean? Like she's got dead right. eyes, like she's like she's creeping us out, you know. And I think Whiskey Jack's just like, but if we can't trust each other, who can we trust? You know, kind of going back to the loyalty like, totally, of the fellow totally man. I totally agree with you, man. But like with this specific situation. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, do you no, think besides that, this. Do you think that it's, is she being, she's being possessed by Cotillion. Cotillion, like, the rope. Yeah. Do you, do you think that Cotillion is presently and has been for the past couple of years solely consciously with the bridge burners? You know what I mean? Or is it like. Does he kind of like, because it's mentioned that like her consciousness, Sari's consciousness is kind of split a little bit, but right. not, maybe not split, but like these certain consciousnesses are fighting for a grip kind of on her brain. You know, you got like Rick Regalia, whatever the hell her, Rick Rigalawa, the seer yeah. from the beginning, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, old yeah. lady. Uh, Whose name like we did Cotillion, learn, yeah. Cotillion and then um, Sari or the Fisher girl, I should say, who all make up. There's like a trifecta that makes up mm-hmm. Sari. Is Cotillion kind of like really with the bridge burners or is it just an influence? Is it just like a, 
did Cotillion give her some sort of like orders and then kind of like fuck off for a little bit? Well, it's obviously not him 100% of the time because there's like other times that we see him off interacting with other people that when he's not in the middle of sorry. So yeah, I would think that it's like him exacting his influence on her and there are times when his grip is holding her tight and there are times that he's kind of off distracted doing other things. You know, like obviously when she killed uh, or killed the quote-unquote parent uh he was like in her he was like actively like controlling her you know and there was uh somebody said something like she has a conversation with as soon as she kills him she has a conversation with somebody and that person calls her um cotillion you know so there's times that he is very much like 100 percent in there she is not there i think we're gonna wrap it up here pretty soon there's one more scene that i wanted to talk about and uh for everybody listening uh hopefully we got to some really cool high points here chad and i are doing our best to uh get to everything but obviously if we if we hit our momentum if we we hit every single scene we'd be here for like five hours Uh, so i do want to talk about real quick though the scene on the rooftops with quick ben and kalam uh quick ben is invisible kalam is able to float around and see magic and stuff that's all really awesome super awesome the part where quick ben unleashes this demon though was pretty chilling that was rough to read and i forgot about that part and i forgot (laughs) that they're like the demon realizes at a certain point he's just like oh i'm you brought me here so i'm gonna die right i'm gonna be used i'm being used right now i felt so bad for the demon the demon didn't do anything you know know? like not then he gets owned by an amanda rake right and the mages that are around him pretty quick i think he does yeah um but yeah what do you think about all that like what do you think about the kind of like casual because there was a scene in the Siege of Pale, too, where demons were just, like, tearing people to shreds and stuff. Totally. And like, the kind of, like, casual f- tossing in of being able to summon demons and stuff. Like, And for reference and for clarity, I don't think that demon is necessarily used in the kind of, like, more Judeo-Christian sense of the word. No. I think it's more of, like, a um, a sort of conjuration of of a being from a different dimension Plane. that's not that's yeah. not necessarily like inherently evil or something like that it's like i like, agree you could probably call the hounds maybe even demons you know maybe i'm not sure about that but like I, i'm i'm curious like your thoughts on that scene but more specifically or i guess more generally just like the usage of these demons i mean to me it just kind of cements in the like to the gods or the ascendants small g gods the world is a chessboard. And I think even to a lot of the people within the world, uh, Quick Ben being one of them, the world's also kind of, and it's just kind of saying that like, yes, the people, the world, the mortal realm is a chessboard being by the ascendant, is seen as a chessboard by the ascendants. I think that it's saying that like, not just the ascendants can use others, you know, like this whole game is a game of like multi-tiered manipulation of people using other people for their, own benefits and i thought it was really curious about that scene was that we get kind of like the demon's perspective yeah seriously on that which is kind of interesting and i think that was just like the demon being like oh right everyone's using everybody else and here i am being like (laughs) a meat shield like i'm a meat shield and that's it i'm gonna go do my job because like obviously the ones that were summoned to rip apart the civilians or, or the defenders of pale were like stoked probably that they got to be released upon the pale defendants maybe not i don't know but Kind of seemed like they were. (laughs) And uh, this one was like, oh, man, darn. Uh, (laughs) I'm just a meat shield, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to these. There's so much to read here. There's so much to think about. Where is this all going? 
Like, what's the yeah. power of all of this? Like, what's... Well, let's go find out. You know, yeah, it's funny. I, before, yeah. before this episode, I was like all stoked. I was like, man, I got this. I knew exactly what happened. And you asked me so many questions. And I was like, boy, I don't really know. It's yeah, funny how like so we more. think that we have the story on lockdown. And then we start getting asked questions about it. And our uh, silly ideas quickly fall to fall by the wayside. Yeah. Like, I'm wondering if I'm even going to have like a super strong grasp on everything when I finish this series. I hope by the time they finish the series, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it'll be a waste of time or anything. Far no. from it. I mean, I think that, I, I wonder if I'm gonna get to the end of this series and be like, man, that took a really long time. <laughs> and like, what did I, you know what I mean? Like, what happened? Like, what? I don't know if there will be one, like, overarching point to these books. I think it's kind of like you mentioned with the Roman um, Empire thing. It's kind of like a, a chunk out of the middle of like here's the events and happenings within this time and yeah because i don't know if there will be like an overarching bad guy or overarching good guys i know there will be like characters that kind of tend to follow those themes and build upon them but like i think that and in fact that's kind of one of the points is that both in this this world and many times in our world the bad guys who we think they are is really a group of people some there by their own wants and desires and others being forced to by other people and you know not everything is so black and white as good or bad everything has an element of both including the enemy that you're fighting i like that i uh, i think that was that was very well put chad thank you thank you you know i've only read uh two and a half ish of these books but i think i can very safely say there's just nothing like malazan like they're really nothing like them. I I haven't read anything like even Gardens of the Moon. Like I haven't read anything like this. I feel like there's a certain darkness to this series, but yeah. also it's not that bad. Though. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like it's like yes, this is like this horrible process of uh, this this empire and these demons and these, these swords and killing and all that. But there's like it's not. It doesn't feel like Faithful and the Fallen felt to me, where it was like this kind of like mindless murder and mayhem everywhere. It feels like there's there's so much more to bite into here. Like, you know. Right. The uh, events mean more. Yeah. But but also there is like this kind of like sadness almost to the totally. series. Like, I, I wonder if that's going to continue on. Like, I wonder if that's going to be like, it just seems so like heavy already totally you know but the, but like totally. I said, but it's avoiding the, top... the pointlessness you know there's still like meaning and depth behind it and and you know though i think it would be easy to lose yourself in the kind of hopeless like oh no everything's bad sort of thing but i don't think that's the point here Just i don't think so either like <laughs> and there's also some like like i said at the top of the episode there's some funny parts to all of this too totally like that part at the end of one of those chapters where i can't remember exactly what it was but like what did whiskey jack do he like was his nose bleeding or something or like he was like so stressed out that like something was bleeding i can't remember what it yeah, was yeah something was i think he, it might have been i don't know he was just like oh man like and he like called um one of the who's the who's the healer of the squad mallet mallet there he we like go calls nice. mallet over and he's like oh it happened again <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like mallet oh, i was so stressed out i was hurt myself again you know like the, and then like that part on the on the shore they're trying to get the boat into the water but like uh, their their bargast guy uh, trots like put yeah, trots. all of their stuff in the boat before they put it <laughs> in the water. 
<laughs> and they're like trying to pull it in there and he's just like oh my, like, god, oh my I, gosh i gotta work with a bunch of idiots like i i do really appreciate those moments they feel earned and they feel funny and and um you know even the part where like crocus is like giving the stuff back to this girl and like they're just having totally. this sort of like moronic conversation with each other but, yeah that it's just like uh like super young people like don't know what's going on and and i just you know i, I really wanted to like shout that out and um say how much like i i really do appreciate there's some levity in all of this because like there is like kind of like this dark through line going through everything but i think that the depth and the mystery and the excellent writing and and for anybody that's yeah. listening right now who has not read dead house gates dead house gates is a way better book than this like i <laughs> i can't like objectively stress enough. so yeah like i can't like because to give a little bit more history before we take off here i want to give a little more history about gardens of the moon as it started out for malazan like gardens of the moon was intended to be a screenplay and it reads like it kind of well because we're like dancing around so much by scene like, yeah sort of totally thing, you, know? you can kind of picture it as like a, a couple episodes of game of thrones almost where it's just like totally. okay, well, now we're over here now we're over here now we're over here it's just kind of a mess of a book like it's just mm. I, I mean and that's just my personal opinion no, no you moved, that's right <laughs> but moving over to dead house gates it's like the writing is way better i think 10 years had passed or something between when erickson had written gardens of the moon like an hour had, world yeah yeah totally yeah sorry thank you for clarifying that yeah, so like um erickson had written gardens of the moon as a screenplay and then i think he tr please correct me if i'm wrong but i think that he it was rejected as a screenplay obviously because like everybody <laughs> in hollywood was like what the fuck is this are you curious right now <laughs> But like, also um, to to back up a little bit more, I'm pretty sure that uh, Steven Erickson and uh, his friend Ian Esselmont, who has also read written some of the books in this universe, had created a sort of I think it was like a tabletop uh, game. I'll give you more details on that. I'll research it a little bit more. But anyway, after the screenplay was kind of like not working, I think that he had novelized it, right? And then some time went by, and then he wrote Dead House Gates, and Dead House Gates like once you kind of get over the fact that you're on a different continent and there's a bunch of new characters and stuff it really takes off and it's just endlessly interesting and it's more it feels more focused like it feels more i mean obviously by the time you get to the end of it you're just like i don't know what the fuck is going on right now like i have no idea what any of this means but the ride feels like you're kind of a little bit more strapped in you know and like the the landscape is more interesting the uh and that's saying a lot because like there's a lot of really cool stuff happening in gardens of the moon but yeah dead house gates that was one of the only books that i've ever physically thrown across the room when i finished it i don't know if i've really ever done that with any other book wait that which series come, well not series but the end of dead house gates oh right I, maybe not even like the very end there's just like a sequence toward the very end of it that happened and i threw my book across the room because i was so frustrated but in the best way, like in such a good way. <laughs> it was so cool. Oh, I, I, I know that, um, you know, I don't know about the time, but I think like when the screenplay was written, there was, but I know that there was only a year. Um, 1999 was when uh, Molazon, the first Molazon was released. And then year 2000 was Dead House Gates. But I think the chunk of time that you're alluding to is when the screenplay version of Gardens of the Moon was sure. originally written. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then he like rechanged it and published it by... Uh, 1999 and then the next year 2000 he came out with dead house gates but i know that the kind of mullazon world and this this idea was kind of written i think even late 80s maybe as the 
uh, backdrop for a GURPS campaign, which if you don't know GURPS, it's like a very open-ended D&D kind of um, role-playing system that you can use, very similar to D&D. Um, in fact, it's I like it more than D&D. It's just more open-ended. And if you wanted to be... I, I won't get into the uh, nitpickies <laughs> of GURPS, but it is a really fun version of the D&D uh, game, like an offshoot version of it. And I know that Malazan was kind of written for the the backdrop and the world and the lore of their GURPS campaign. And then it turned into this. So what a what a cool history. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like these two these two guys, Erickson and Esselmont, maybe one of the reasons that Erickson doesn't really need or claims claims. I'm going to press him about that if we ever have him on <laughs> here. I'm going to be like, you said that you didn't take notes. But anyway. I wonder if they had just familiarized themselves so much by like just thoroughly building out this world together uh, over what sounds like almost a decade. By the time totally. it came to like novelize this stuff, it it was maybe just a bit more second nature them and allowed them to do this in media res type thing that they were able to do. Um, I haven't read any of the Esselmont books. I've heard that they're. I've heard that you can really get away with just reading the ten. And then if you do a reread, it's a good idea to kind of like um, insert. Then that's what I'm going to do with Stormlight, actually, um, just to change the subject just a tiny bit. But with Stormlight, we're going to read uh, Way of Kings, Words of Radiance, and then we're going to read Edge Dancer, I think. Oh, okay. Is that like the... It's a novella, but it's not the... even a novella. It's like okay. 300 pages long. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's of course. just like a novella compared to the rest of Stormlight. Uh, but then, and then you read Oathbringer, and then I think... There's like another novella. I can't remember the name of it. Sorry. Um, Dawn Shard, I think is what it's called. And then you read Rhythm of War and then you read Light and Truth. or Sword Yeah, I don't know if I can handle that with doing that with this read through, but maybe my next read through of uh, no, Malazan. I was thinking about that. Dude, I was like thinking today, I was like, are me and Chad going to have to do like a, a Malazan reread? Like five years from now? Or we Maybe. can do it like right afterwards. <laughs> nope, we're not re we're not going back to the beginning of what it. Right after. What podcast afterwards. has done that though? Like what podcast has done Malazan? Not once. Oh, twice. but twice. We're doing it two oh times. Oh my god, it'd be like embarrassing to listen to the episode. But like, wow, we sound like damn fools, confused in both totally. of them. But like, because <laughs> I know, think about like the amount of confidence we'd go into. Oh, uh, so Guardians much, of the dude. Moon with, and then we'd still be like, why did that happen again? Like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us today, everybody. Thank you so much yeah, for listening to this read. episode. I want to go read too. Yeah, um, I really want to. The next episode will be books five, six, and seven to of the Gardens end. of the Moon. That will be the end, our last episode for Gardens of the Moon. And then we will start with book one of volume two, Dead House Gates, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to try. I try not to set expectations for everybody, but just so you know, uh, Chad and I are going to try to put out a Melanzon episode every Friday. Uh, so damn straight. We'll see if we can keep to that. We'll try our very, very best. Um, it's only a couple hundred pages a week, so which I think should. is what lends to the chaosness of maybe this one and the last episode that we did is because we're trying to rush through these because we're not doing one a week. We're doing one every like four days or something like that. So we're really two, trying to yeah. get we on to that first. Yeah. Well, like I had, I thought that January twelfth was January fifteenth. Oh right, was there was really like dumb. the mix up with I like posted about I posted on all of my socials. I was like, starting Gardens of the Moon, be ready, January 15th. And I bet a bunch of people were like, Why are you putting it out on a Monday, Evan? Like, why would you put yeah, out like, the that's weird? That's the same day as another of your episodes. Like, why are you putting two episodes out a day? But I thought the 15th was a Friday, and so we put it out on Tuesday. And then we recorded our next episode on ah, Wednesday. Don't beat night. yourself up and over so, it. So we could get on because we want to do what I would really love is to get 
a throne of glass episode every wednesday malazan episode every friday do the monday yep. episode do our interviews and stuff but you know we'll see we might take two weeks between throne of glass books or something at some point or i don't know those books get pretty hefty uh, totally. we might even have to split up a couple of those throne of glass books we'll leave ourselves a little wiggle room for some totally. grace uh, yeah. and life events happening you know that might uh, some out extraneous circumstances that may judge uh, that may change how fast we can read these books but we're going to try our best yeah i mean i'm not really worried about throne of glass i think with nah. um with Malazan, we got to kind of keep keep the fire keep hot or whatever. Yep. Yeah, we got to really like. My priority sure. in my mind, at least, is keep those ones like try to really try to keep that that Friday schedule. Yeah, they're a pretty and good then, priority for us. Yeah, yeah. like cause, totally. Yeah, if we end up putting like throwing a glass out on a Thursday or something, it's not a big deal. Or if we skip yep. a week or whatever, it's it's fine. But like, yeah, I feel like with Malazan, it's like we got to kind of. Have if we don't stay on top of it, we'll never get it done. You know, we got to no, keep it and going. Especially, oh my God, dude. We can't and I don't like want us month. to get sick of them either. No, I don't think, I mean, I think we would get sick of them if it took us two years to read these Absolutely, things. yeah. Um, but I think kind of going back to my comment about them being kind of heavy, like uh, that's why I'm glad I'm reading them with you and I'm reading Straight them with up. this audience and we can all kind of like commiserate sometimes and like talk about stuff. And just <laughs> remember that like, you know, it's fiction. It's uh. <laughs> probably gonna get pretty heavy it's probably <laughs> gonna get pretty heavy but then also uh, you have us to to talk about it with everybody we all have each other we all have each other uh so yeah that's gonna do it for us everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode really appreciate your time and look forward to our next episode uh coming out probably next friday uh for books five six and seven of gardens of the moon and we're moving right on to dead house gates hell yeah everybody hope you have an awesome rest of your day and of course happy reading bye everybody